Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. Wildlife Park. Why do you like it so much? Because there's lots of cool animals. Mm -hmm. Would you like to do something with dinosaurs when you grow up? Get, give them checkups. Give them checkups? Mm-hmm. You'd be a veterinarian? Dinosaur veterinarian, silly. Yeah. What would you buy? Um, fruit snacks. Fruit snacks? That's a good choice. Anything else? Um, no. Can you no. tell us what's on your wish list? Hundreds of toys. Hundreds of toys? Like what? I forget. You forget? Triceratops, <gasps> Stegosaurus, Ceratosaurus, Hadrosaurus, Inosaurus. play with you. We have been in a series that we like to call Keep Dreaming, and each week we have been sharing and talking about our dreams. But in this series, the thing that we're going for is we're trying to sense once again what God may be up to in the world and in our world specifically. Now, this morning, I want to start by unpacking two dreams for you to get you to start thinking about dreaming. This morning, it starts with two dreams and these two dreams have two different destinations but they have one decision that is with it now here's the first dream the first dream starts in 1971 this dream was released into the world by none other than the man john lennon do we have any john lennon fans this morning okay a couple a couple in 1971 john releases a dream into the world this song would have been known as the song imagine and people heard this song he didn't just sing a song he actually sang a dream over america and the world and in this dream in 1971 he said imagine a world a world where there's no greed no more hunger no more possessions no more countries and you ask john how does this dream come to be and john would say no more heaven no more hell, and no more religion. This would have been the first dream, the 1971 dream of Imagine. This would have been a dream that people would sing over and over and over again. Imagine no heaven, no hell, no religion whatsoever. This dream would have came from the absence of faith. But that's one dream. Now here's the second dream that we have. There's not only one in 1971, but eight years prior, there would have been another dream that was shared with the world in 1963. And this dream, as it would have been shared, it would have used words that would have sounded like this. Every valley should be exalted. Every hill and mountain should be made low. The rough places 
will be made plain and the crooked places will be straight. These aren't just any words. These are the words of the Bible. These are the words of Isaiah 40 verse 4. These are the words that if I told you the words that went with this dream, with this speech, you may recognize it because in the same speech, this man stood in Washington and he said, I have a dream that one day black boys and girls will join hands with white boys and girls and they will be brothers and sisters together. In this dream, Dr. Martin Luther King in his church clothes stepped in front of the world and shared a dream. But this one was not with a faithless claim, but a faithful claim. This is the decision that each of us must face when it comes to dreaming. What will inspire your dreams? Where will your dreams come from? This is the next question of our series today. What will inspire your dreams? Will it be something without faith? Or will it be something involving your faith? If you're willing to this morning and you're able to, would you mind standing for the reading of God's word this morning together? We are going to be in Genesis 40. If you want to grab your Bible and read along or you can hear me read it. This is the passage for us this morning. We're going to start in verse 2 of chapter 40. Now Pharaoh, he was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended them. And after they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, they had a dream. They had a dream that same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now in verse 6, when Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him and the master of the house, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there was no one there to interpret them. And then Joseph said to them, do not all interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. And not only did the cupbearer just tell him his dream, but the baker went on to tell him his dream. And then moving all the way down in the verse 20, after Joseph interprets both of the dreams, here's what the text says. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday. I wonder why he was turning. And he gave a feast to all his officials. And he lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of the officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, once again putting him the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he also impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. In the last verse, but the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph's dreams for two years afterwards. This is the reading of our text this morning. Thank you for that. You can be seated. 
the space between the ideal becoming real always has the possibility of imprisoning us. William Yeats, who was a poet at one point, wrote this poem that describes the grappling that most people have to go through in the last third of their life. It's a very depressing poem that he wrote, but it was so accurate that people have still remembered it through the ages. The title of the poem was called, Why Should Not Old Men Be Mad? And in the poem, he grapples with the idea that life promises certain things, but life doesn't always deliver on those promises. In the words of his poem, hear this, he asked the question, is there a finish worthy of the start? He goes through the poem by basically saying this. He reflects on a journalist who had so much potential that because of addiction to alcohol, she just unravels her career. He looks around at the potential of the youth and watches as they grow older and older and become just more cynical towards the world. He reflects on all these different stories of people who had such promising ideas in the beginning. And then slowly those promises do not deliver. The poem is pessimistic at best because there's no dreams that seem to finish the same way that they start. You and I know what this feeling is like. Like you get this feeling when you scroll through your Facebook or when you go through a high school graduation, you encounter people that you're like, hmm, they did not look like what they used to look like. You walk through and you go, oh, I did not see their life ending up that way or that time. Or dare we even say, ooh, that person had a lot of potential. What happened? Here's the thing about life. We tend to lose steam. We tend to be people that the dream goes stale. We lose track of our dreams. Our dreams tend to change when we get older. In our dreams, some of them have already happened. How do you finish just as well as you started? These are most likely the questions of Joseph when you hear this text read this morning. As we covered last week, Joseph's life was basically in a place of he had these amazing dreams with God. But once the dreams happen, his life is everything but a dream. Joseph is literally abandoned by his family. He is sold into servitude. And then on top of that, he is unjustly thrown into prison. The irony of this passage, the irony of the Joseph story is part of Joseph's story is literally everyone's dreams happening around him except for his own dreams himself. Joseph can interpret everyone else's dream, but he cannot figure out how his dream is supposed to come to life himself. You ever found yourself in this place? Looking around at other people's dreams? They get the job. They get the house. They finish the project. They retire early. They're accomplishing big things. Their faith is really engaging. And then there's you 
who's sitting on the couch at 11.30 at night, snacking on a Hot Pocket, wondering if you need to go to 7-Eleven to pick up some Christmas cookie Bluebell ice cream. That's not a personal experience. <laughs> Just for the record. Some of you should be amening this morning. When you do not have a sense of possibility for your future, there is always a possibility to be imprisoned by your dreams. Although some of us may know what it's like to be physically imprisoned, most of us know what it's like to be emotionally imprisoned by the things that we desire most and dream about in life. And here's one of the things about early Christians that seems so similar to the Joseph story. Early Christians, historically, were not known because they had just crazy dreams about how God's reality would happen. Christians were crazy historically because of their perseverance to make those dreams happen. Now, here's the thing with the Joseph story. Readers of Scripture have said that there are eight chapters in between what is ideal to Joseph and Joseph's dream becoming real. Most readers of Scripture would actually say from the beginning of Joseph's story all the way to the end of this dream actually coming through would be a span of 20 years. 20 years of waiting on the dream with other people. But did you catch what happens that keeps Joseph's dream moving? Did you catch that it's other people's dreams that help Joseph's dream keep moving? It is other people. Because after Joseph interprets these dreams for the baker and the cupbearer, which the cupbearer in that day, it would have just been like a butler, okay, for the king. When he interprets this, you can go back to the text and you can look at chapter 41, verse 9. I'm going to read it for you. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, this is two years later, ah, today I'm reminded of my shortcomings, really, today, two years later. Appreciate you. Thanks for being a bro. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream that same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. But now there was this young Hebrew who was there with us, a servant of the captain guard. He told him, we told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dreams, and things turned out exactly as he interpreted them. I was restored to my position and the other man was impaled. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. The dungeon, that's an intense word for prison. <laughs> when he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Did you catch it? He is waiting. He is imprisoned. And two years later, what Joseph does to help someone else out actually becomes the thing that moves his dream along. What do you do when your dream's stuck? What do you do when all the dreams that you've had so far have already happened? What if you considered that the way to get unstuck from your dreams is to focus on someone else's dream? What if you actually found that unlocking your future dreams may come from not having your attention on your dreams, but it is actually 
focusing on someone else that may help you find yourself come back to a dream in a new way that you had never seen before. If I were to expedite you all the way to the end of Joseph's story, I'd take you to chapter 42, verse 8. And this is when Joseph is realizing his dream is coming true. His brothers are coming right before him. They're bowing down in a way that he had imagined the dream, but they're coming and they're bowing because Joseph is a part of a movement. He's a part of a position of power, of influence, and he's helping people that this dream comes true. And here's how the text describes it in 42 verse 8. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize them. But as his brothers bowed down, he remembered his dreams. In other words, Joseph in this moment remembers that there is a God that was at work behind his dreams the entire time. That this God was at work in the dreams of other peoples and God worked through the dreams of others to help bring about his dreams with him at the same time. There's a subtlety in the Joseph story that we do not talk about very often. There's a subtlety because when Genesis wants to tell you the story of the cupbearer and the baker and the Joseph, one of the things that you got to realize is that Genesis is exhaustive at telling you the positions of the people over and over and over and over again. You ever been in a conversation with someone where they can't help themselves, but they just have to tell you what they're a part of? Like walking through Genesis is kind of like having a conversation with someone who does CrossFit, okay? I got a friend that makes a joke that he says, if you want to know if someone's in CrossFit, here's how you know. Don't worry, they'll tell you. <laughs> I found that to be very true in this church if you are an Aggie or if you're a part of Camp Gladiator, okay? I will find you. You will come find me. You will let me know that you're a part of these groups. Genesis is exhaustive. It wants to tell you over and over again, the cupbearer and the baker, the cupbearer and the baker, and you're like, we did it. We did it with the titles. The reason Genesis wants to give you the titles is because it wants to emphasize the position of the people. Joseph is the lowest of low in positions. And the cupbearer and the baker are the highest and high of positions. And here is such good news for all of us to hear this morning. No matter where you are coming at, it does not matter what position you find yourself in in life. It matters what God's position is in life. And God's position is a position that is towards you. You do not have to figure out a new position for God to be at work in your life. If you are in the best position of life or the worst position of life, the God of Joseph, the God who dreams, is working behind the scenes of your life right now. No matter what position you find yourself in. And this God works through the dreams of others to bring Joseph back to his dreams. He remembers this God who is dreaming of him and everyone else. Which brings me to my question this morning that we start with. Where is the inspiration for your dreams? There's another way to ask it. Where do your dreams tend to focus? Do they focus on you? Do they focus on your life? Or do they focus on others? The social director would ask you this question. They would ask you if the dreams that you have 
came true, would it change someone else's life more than it would change your own life? Where does the focus of your dreams tend to go? There's this group of monks that uh, if you're like a nerd like me and you're like, I want to know which group of monks this is, this would be the Benedictine tradition, okay? There is a order of monks that they have a role that focuses on dreams. And the role in this community, if you are the monk and you get chosen to do the position that they call the porter, okay, your job every day, this is so good, your job every day is to wake up super early, you go down to the town gate and you literally greet people as they walk by the town and you ask them the question, where are you going and how can I help you? This is the role of the porter. Now, I really like that the role also involves when someone approaches you, your first response is to say to them, thanks be to God, which is just like a really holy way of being like, what's up, what's up, you know? It's kind of jarring at first. I would love that role. I would love to jar people with thanks be to God. But the role is you stand at the gate every day asking people the very simple question. What can I do to help you on your way? Let me ask you, when's the last time you have operated one of your days with this question? When's the last time you have rolled out of bed and you've just said, I'm going to go through the day and I'm going to keep inventory of what other people's dreams are. And I'm going to ask myself, what can I do to help them on their way? And here's why that's important. Because one of the ways that you can love other people is by simply loving other people's dreams. What if you did this for your kids? What if you did this for your next door neighbor that has no idea or care about God? What if you did this for that coworker that annoys you every single week over and over? I better be hearing an amen from someone, okay? What if you asked this question along the way? What can I do to help you on your way in your journey? This is not a pipe dream. This is God's dream for God's community. You do not have to go finding this with people. You already have a place where you can find the dreams of other people. This is the dream for God's church together. To be people that dream of God's realities and God's future. And we are asking each other, how can we help each other make that dream of God's a reality? I have a friend that tends to say it like this when it comes to church. He says that church, a lot of times we treat it like it's a super target, when in reality, it's way more of a farmer's market. Okay, now don't hear me preaching against super target. God bless that there are super targets in the world. But here's what he would say. Often we come to a faith community searching and looking for something, when in reality, we are more like an organic farmer's market where each of us come bringing our own dreams to one another and we ask ourselves as the church together, how can I help you bring that dream to life? We're not a super target. We are a farmer's market of dreams. Dreams of people who dream of doing great things for God. Here's how one thinker said it. 
His name is uh, Gerhard Lopfing, which he's not related to the Gerhards whatsoever. I've, that tripped me up as well. But here's how he said this. There must be a place, visible, comprehensible, subject to examination, where liberation and healing begin. That is where the world can become what it's meant to be according to God's plan. This is the church that he's talking about. Starting from this place, then, the new thing can spread abroad. Human beings must have the opportunity to view the new thing and to test it. Then if they want, they can allow themselves to be drawn into the history of salvation, the story of peace that God is bringing into being. This is what the church is called to be. It's to be the place in the world where it can become what it's meant to be with God's plan. Can I tell you something that we have been floating and drinking in? We have been in a water that has been politicized so much that a lot of our emphasis today is that we think the main way that change comes about is through the individual and whatever happens at Washington, D.C. And although those conversations are important because they involve policies and policies involve people, it's not the only place for change. God's church was always supposed to be the place where God's people caught a vision of what God wanted in the world. And we were to live it out, test it out. One of the ways to say this is that the church should be the open house for the world. It should be an open house for people to be, be able to experience how love is different, how sacrifice is different, how we interact with one another is different, and how we look at social change is different. This is one of the ways that we engage in God's dreams, that we dream together. That Round Rock Church of Christ is a place that people in Round Rock should come to our faith community and they should see a new way, a different way of how life can be dreamed. Why is that? Because all of us center ourselves around Jesus Christ, who is the fulfillment of all God's desires, dreams, and realities. That the words of Ephesians 3.20 would say, when we come around the table, when we just took that communion that we just partook in, that we are doing that with the one who can do more than we can even imagine in the world together. Dreaming with God looks like this. It is asking yourself, how can I bring about God's good world through my DNA? How can I embody what the body of Jesus would do if Jesus were you. This is the way of dreaming. And if we dream with those who are around us, if we look at the ways that people want to bring about the dreams of God, you may just stumble into a dream that could be bigger than you ever imagined in your entire life. So back to August. 23rd, 1963. The moment where the world heard Dr. King's speech of a dream, but he just didn't give you a speech. King shared with us a dream, a dream that should convict, a dream that should continue to push us forward. 
Some people have documented that when King stepped up to the podium to give the speech, he didn't have everything that he was going to say planned that day. But there was a woman by the name of Miss Jackson who was sitting on the front row that as Martin Luther King was delivering the speech that would echo through America, Miss Jackson said on the front row to Dr. King, she said, Martin, tell them the dream. And you see that at one point in the speech, King slides his notes over and he tells him the dream, the dream that he had preached about in his church clothes, the dream that would resound with America. And that dream echoes in America today because someone was brave enough to tell Dr. King, tell them the dream where I want to end you today is are there any people brave enough still today to tell others that have God drenched dreams? Tell them the dream. Can you be a person for the God-drenched dreams in the world? Can you be that person that says, tell them the dream? Some of you have even told me that you fulfilled what you want to dream in life. Guess where the next spot in life is? You are to help other people bring about their dreams and their God-inspired dreams with it. We need people who are willing to tell us the dream. I want to invite you to finish today by actually telling us the dream. For the past two weeks, we have been writing on these dream cards, and you will see that there is one next to your seat today. We want to give you the last minute of this sermon to answer a question, a dream that we haven't heard yet. What dreams do you have for Round Rock Church of Christ? This is what we want you to sit with and finish the leaders and the staff have been praying through these dreams as we go. And in a minute, I'm just going to give you a minute with God to dream for a second of what do you dream about for this faith community? For this local, organic faith community, what do you dream for the future? What do you dream for our church? And I would encourage you to be as specific as possible because we're going to pray over these dreams and we're going to think over these dreams. Today you have the opportunity to tell everyone the dream. So take a minute, write it on the card, and then in a moment I'll invite one of our elders to come up and bless us.
At this time, I'd like to invite one of our leaders, John, to go ahead and come up with us. If you're not finished writing, you can finish writing after uh, John gives us a blessing today. I'd like to encourage you, if you're comfortable with us as a leadership and staff praying over the cards, there's baskets in the back that we'd encourage you to drop off your card. If you do not want your card ever shared within worship or with other people, make sure you check that box or don't check that box down at the bottom. But we're in today doing what we've done over the past couple weeks. We're going to hear some of the dreams and pray over them together. Last week, Zane asked to write down what dream has been stirring in you. All the dreams have been turned in, as Zane said, has been prayed over. The dreams that you wrote down vary in size, scope, and subjects. But they all touched my heart. Some I felt excitement about. Some caused me to say amen. Others made me mourn a little. There was even a couple that made me chuckle. If your dreams moved me to these experiences of all these emotions, can you imagine how your dreams have moved your father? I know God is even more moved because we are his children and he wants what is best for all of us. He has promised to help us, so be listening for the Spirit to give you more instructions on how to reach your dream. If he's moved you in sharing this dream, then he will continue to work with you. Needless to say, I don't have all the cards that um, have been turned in, but I do have six here that I'd like to read to you. As I read these six, I want you to think about your dreams and how they apply, and but most important, I want you to think about how the Spirit's going to move you next. Create a nonprofit that will help parents who are at risk of losing their children because of the poverty or difficult life circumstances. I dream to reach a point where my addiction do not rule me anymore. To be all in, whatever that looks like. I want to get baptized. Our church will grow in diversity in all aspects of leadership roles and servant roles. Somehow, using my quilting help others who feel alone and are hurt or deserve comfort and love. As we get ready to pray, there are some things that um, we could do even today. If the Spirit so moves the person that wants to be baptized, I ask you to come up or talk to us afterwards. For those rest of you, as Zane said today, share your dream with one another so that you may get that moving more. Will you please stand if you're able to pray with me, please? Dear Lord, thank you for placing these dreams on each of our hearts. Thank you for the boldness and courage of our members to share their dreams. Dreams of serving other people will hurt work of hands like quilting, which will bring love and joy and will represent you wrapping your hands around that person. Dreams of improving our lives to serve you better, from becoming one of your children through baptism or being delivered from addictions that Satan has placed in our lives. Let us all be all in, even if it scares us. Dreams for our congregation mature in unity of spirit as we grow in diversity in all aspects. Thank you for all our dreams that will help families stay together as they undergo difficult challenges in their lives. But most of all, Father, we thank you for the gift of your son that allows to bring these dreams to you. Thank you for your spirit which will guide us in our dreams. In your son's name, amen.